Amen. The young people can go. I know you're sad to not be able to listen to me preach. Yes? No? It's lovely to see Sam and Claire here and Sienna. Lovely to see them as well. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, you're staying, yeah? Now this is it now? You, yeah? Anyway, it's lovely to see them, and welcome if you're visiting as well, and, uh, and if you were here last week and you were new last week and you're back in, welcome back as well. Um, <clears throat> just one little thing before I get into the words. Um, the chairs are for the sermon. Huh? Is that profound? <laughs> the chairs are for the sermon, they're not for the worship. Now, some of us, uh, not myself included, need to sit down because of... Uh, they have been working throughout their years and their body gets to a certain point where they have to sit down. But Jim is not the only one who... No, he's not here. So uh, since Tim's got... Someone's got to take the ticket and that. But the chairs are for the sermon. And I want to encourage you that to... Hello, Jim. All right. That this space... And I don't know what's the matter with these chairs, but this space is free for you to be free in worship. You don't have to stay in your seat. And uh, so I just, I don't know whether you knew that. I don't know if you did, if you knew um, that you could move outside of your seat. That if you feel that you just need a bit of space just to lift up your hands and worship God, well, if you come down the front to worship, no one's going to pray for you unless you ask someone. And uh, it's not that there's a presence of God at the front, which is greater than at the back. There are less distractions at the front than there are at the back. But there's something about stepping out of ourselves and getting into place, saying, you know what, I'm here to worship God. I'm not just here just to listen to the music or listen to the songs, but I want to step out. And, and um, we were chatting as elders about worship the other day, and one of the things that's key in our heart is that we believe fundamentally in participation. Uh, that what these guys do up here is to help us to participate and to worship, and you do that by expressing your heart of worship. Um, this isn't really finished yet because I've still got a little bit more to do, but some people are saying, what, John, what on earth is that on the stage? And um, it is artistically an expression. What does worship look like when the church comes together? It's like an explosion of different personalities and different colours where all the different cultures we have in this church where God is, uh, calls us to express that love and it's like an explosion of of creative art. That's what that is. I changed it from last week. If you can tell me what I changed, then I'll buy you a Mars bar. Um, but that's what that means. And it's doing, it's, it's, it looks good as well. But um, I want to encourage you to don't just come and sit in your seat, unless you physically have to, because I know, you know that there are some of us that don't have much choice in the matter. But as Jana encouraged us earlier, if you've got to get on your knees, get on your knees. If it's to stand up and put your arms in, if it's to dance, if it's to wave a flag, whatever. I don't know where the flags are gone, but there's two here. Um, if it's to do something to express your love for God. Otherwise, I, was, I wasn't well last week, so I watched it online. Um, why don't we all do that? But when we come together, you get an explosion of something. Amen? That's not what I want to preach about. Um, I want to talk, and I, I was encouraged by that, that, uh, that hymn, uh, This Is My Story, This Is My Song. It's a great old hymn in the, uh, we used to call it the Hymns of Eternal Length when we were growing up. Um, I think it's actually, isn't it called the Hymns of Eternal Truth? But some of them are pretty long. 
Um, and uh, when growing up, we, we had the Red Book and the Blue Book. That was from the Red Book. And the Blue Book was the Charles Wesley hymns and some fantastic poetry that we were singing. And, um, and I want to talk about the We Are Living Letters. And to, to begin us, uh, really, I'm just going to read chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians um, and then just look into it and what Jesus says about us, that he's writing us as his letters. And, um, and I trust that we will be encouraged and challenged at the same time. So this is chapter 3 um, of 2 Corinthians. Uh, if you have a Bible, it's quite good to have it open throughout when I'm speaking because um, although it will come up on the screen, it's good just to, when I'm talking or whoever's talking, just to look at it. So if you've got it on a device or if you've got it on a um, paper form, great. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? This is Paul speaking. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts." Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory had come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory." Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains un unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. 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 Isn't it a wonderful passage? Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to do justice to the passage, um, just focusing on some bits of it, but um, it's a wonderful passage when you think about what the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or the Old Deal and the New Deal. But how, when we think about letters, now we don't really write letters anymore. I don't, well, some maybe do, but we, you know, we have email, text messaging, WhatsApp, and all sorts of things, and Facebook, and all these kind of things that we do. But... For those who don't know, a letter is constituted of certain parts. It needs some paper, it needs some ink, it needs a writer, and it needs a message. 
four parts to a, to a letter. And I want to look at those four things because what I want to talk about is that Christ is the writer, our hearts are the paper, the Holy Spirit is the ink, and the image of God is the message. But I want to start really just in the, on that second point um, because our hearts are the paper. And in this passage, Paul talks about uh, Moses, he talks about the tablets of stone, and he's making reference to the Ten Commandments. He's saying, you know, do you remember Moses went up to the mountain and God, with the finger of God, wrote the Ten Commandments in the tablets of stone, and that represents the law of God. And the Israelites would follow after the law and they would have to do various external things, you might say. They would sacrifice a lamb. They would have to wear certain clothes. They wouldn't be able to shave their sideburns. They would all sorts of things like this. They had to follow. It was very external. These are the things that you have to do. And if you read the the law in total, there's about 500 maybe different laws, uh, maybe more or less, I don't know, but you can count them if you want. But nevertheless, just with the Ten Commandments, there were very, some of them were very, um, well, half of them were focused on our relationship with God and half of them were focused on how we related to one another. But they were, it was a very much an external thing. And in Hebrews, the writer says about the law being a shadow of things to come. He says, <clears throat> um, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities it can never make perfect those who draw near and this was the problem with the uh, um, Old Testament law if we were to follow the law we would fail it doesn't do anything to our hearts it doesn't make us any different it just causes us to try to restrict ourselves to live according to a certain way that we are unable to live to because of sin and this is a problem Colossians 2 verse 17 says as well these are this law are a shadow of the things to come but the substance of the law is Christ and, and if you, I don't know who said this, maybe Daniel talks about it in one of our Bible foundations, I, don't, I can't remember, about Christ casts a shadow, and that shadow is the law. And when we built, or I say we, when the Israelites built the, uh, the tabernacle, and Moses received all of the different uh, intricacies of what should be crea- you know, created, and et cetera, et cetera, um, it says in the scriptures that It was a shadow of, or a representation, or a physical representation of the shadow of the heavenly temple, Christ. And so the law is this uh, essentially ineffective uh, declaration. It has a glorious self because it's a declaration of the heart of God, but it didn't have the power to change hearts. And so throughout the history, thank you, Throughout history, if you read your Old Testament, it's the children of Israel trying to live up to the law, failing, sacrificing animals that blood may cover their sin, cover their sin, cover their sin until Jesus could take it away. And so this is uh, what Paul's talking about when he talks about this heart. And, And this just goes to reveal, the Old Testament reveals to us, as J. John says very clearly, the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. The Old Testament doesn't change the heart. It's all about the external things. It's all about the things that we do. If we put it in our context, it's all about the church going. It's all about the stuff that we do that looks 
like Christian, but it doesn't deal with the heart. But long ago, there's this great promise in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, I'm going to start from the inside and work my way out. See, the only thing that God can write on is a soft heart. He's done the tablets of stone. He's written on the tablets of stone, carved them out, but people couldn't do it. Not that, he didn't, not that it was a surprise to him. He knew all along. But what about the hard heart? You know, if I had a whiteboard, I could write a whiteboard on here and then I could take any one of you and I could just rub you up against it and it would be gone, wouldn't it? Now, if, if God was to write on our hearts and it would be so hard that any brush with any kind of worldliness or any kind of struggle or suffering wiped off the words of God, then nothing's really being written. And when you take, if you can imagine, those old ink pens, you know, they used to dab in the ink, and they would take the, the piece of paper and they would write on the piece of paper, and if you were to look into it, and the ink would just get sucked into the paper, that you wouldn't be able to get it off again. He needs a heart that is soft and would soak up the ink of the Holy Spirit. See, he comes to write a story. And I, I don't know what your story is up to this point. I mean, I know a good number of us here. But what's your story? You know, as we were singing that song and Sue prayed, didn't she? She said, that's my story. God is writing a new story on my heart. He's writing something fresh. You know, when I came to God, I had a story. And maybe when you came to God, you had a story. And then God comes and he says, your, heart, your heart's too hard. I can't write anything on your heart. So he gives us a new heart. This is what the gospel is, isn't it? I've come to take away your hard, broken heart. I know that it says of Jesus, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, but he doesn't make do with what we've got, got and just sort of make it better. He says, I've come to take away the hard heart and give you a new heart, uh, a malleable. Is that the word, malleable? A soft, shapeable heart. And what a wonderful thing when Jesus then starts to write. Licks the end of the, I don't know why he used to do that, didn't they? Lick the end of the pen, start to write. Once upon a time, there was a, a man called Marcus. He used to work at Tesco's. But now, Jesus starts a new story. Amen? And he's writing in my heart. He's writing in your heart. And I don't know what chapter is up to in you, but maybe you're in a chapter. You know, there's always that chapter. It's like, oh, this is a tough chapter. But... You know, we've just been hearing some prayers. When I'm, God's writing, he's gonna, I'm going to write a chapter in your heart. It's going to be tough, but there's always another chapter where God is writing. You know, it's interesting, the King James Version in Romans 12.2, many of us might notice, looking unto Jesus, the, uh, I know it in the King James Version, but I don't know what it is in, in the ESV. I don't know if you want to put it up, Dave. It's um, Romans 12, verse 2. Um, I could turn to it, I suppose. Um, is it looking? No, it's not that one. 
That's not the one. Looking unto Jesus. Hebrews 12.2. Thanks. Hebrews 12.2, Dave. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The King James Version says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Isn't that amazing? This is my story, that Jesus came into my life. He wiped the slate clean. He softened my heart. He got his pen out and he said, this is my story I'm writing in you. Written letters. I wonder what your story is. I reckon you could get someone up here and tell a story and we'd be aghast at what God has, where they've come from, what's shaped them, how they got to where they are. And sometimes we hear testimonies like that, don't we? There's, uh, you know, oh, I, I went through this great tragedy and this, and I was this, this, and then God came in my life and now my life is amazing. For some people, it might be the other way around. I had a great life and then Jesus came into my life and my life has been ruined by God, but he's faithful. Whatever our story is, Jesus is writing something. Do you find that encouraging? that sometimes we might drift through life thinking, what am I doing in my life? Where is my life going? How am I, you know, getting through this and God is there? Well, this is a great story. Do you know what? People are going to read this story. When you're out in your workplace, people are reading that story. I was reminded by uh, the Charles Wesley hymn, back in the blue book, I don't know what number it is, but some of you will know this. Abba, Father, hear thy child, lay in Jesus reconciled. Hear, and all the graces shower, all the joy and peace and power, all my Saviour asks above, all the life and heaven of love. I don't know when you came to know the Lord. For Charles Wesley, he came to Jesus quite late. And uh, I was 18 when, when Jesus saved me, although I'd been in church growing up, but that was the beginning of the story of my life. Maybe for you it was when you were in your 40s, 50s. Maybe you came back to the Lord in your 50s. And the Lord said, thank goodness, now I can carry on with my story. It's like writing again. Amen? But wherever you came, whatever age you're at, God has a story to write. He has something to say and he wants to something to the ink to just get so sucked into our hearts. It becomes a part of us. So if you're older and you just come to know the Lord and you're thinking, well, maybe, you know, I've got not much left. Don't you? Where's Bev? How old was Bev when, well, don't say old. She was in her late years when she went to Malawi, didn't she? You never know, and I don't know if she was surprised by that. I'm not saying we've got to go abroad, that's it, but maybe there's something that God is going to start doing in your life now that is the story of your life. But we need a soft heart. We need a compliant heart. Because if the heart is hard, how does the ink become a part of our flesh? Hebrews 3, 12 to 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And in chapter 2, verse 1 of that same letter, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. 
it is possible for Christians to drift from the wonderful truth and their hearts be hardened. And God's story comes to a pause. Some may say end. See, why does Paul go into this comparison between the old and the new? And, and I, I want to um, just give you maybe one explanation of why he's writing about this letter at the beginning. He talks about this transformation of, into the image of God in the end. And in the middle, he's talking about the law and he's talking about this great, wonderful life of the spirit that we have, that Jesus has brought to us. And, and this is what I think it is. See, there was a glory of the Old Testament. There was a wonder. There was something so majestic about the Old Testament life. If you look at the days of, of Abraham and of Moses and of Joshua, you know, and of, <clears throat> and of King David and Solomon, and you look at these wonderful images of, of the wonder of God revealed through his people, there is a glory about it, but this glory has nothing on the life of the Spirit, of the glory of knowing Jesus in our hearts, transforming us, making us like him. They never had any of that. The, the glory of the Old Testament was, it was in its external things. It wasn't in its internal things. So if, you know, and this is what I think what might be happening, maybe even to people in this room, I don't know, in this church, See, if the old was about external laws, the new was about in internal transformation. The old was about letters on stone, the new is about letters on the heart. The old had a glory, but the second far superior exceeded that glory that made the first glory look um, inglorious. Is that the word? The old was a ministry of condemnation and guilt, the new was a ministry of righteousness and grace. See, there's this great tragedy, I think, but this is where it comes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15 of the Jews. It says, to this day, when Moses, that is, the law is read and the law speaks of Christ, it's the shadow of Christ, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Whenever anyone turns to Jesus, there's a veil. Elsewhere, it says that the, uh, the spirit of this world, the devil, has blinded their, um, the 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 eyes of the world, blinded. There's a veil over our eyes. And, and this is what I think has been happening, maybe, for some people that Paul's talking to, and maybe some people, some people here. So wait for it. See, there's a point when we start to <clears throat> get drawn away by the deceitfulness of sin or drawn away by difficult situations where we turn to our, our own Ways we start to move away from trusting in the law. We start to trust on us in ourselves. Incidentally, I was listening to um, David Pawson speak about something completely different, and he talked about this. He made a point about the will, and he said that um, I think Cliff Richard got saved in his church, or he got baptized in his church. And Cliff Richard sung, you know that song, "I Did It My Way," but he changed it to "I Did It His Way." But it's the only time he's sung it because he's not allowed to sing it for copyright rules anywhere else. But he's saying, I did it his way. And I thought, what a wonderful picture that what happens sometimes when we drift away from the truth of God, when we drift away from trusting the Lord, we stop singing, I do it his way. We start singing, I do it my way. And the heart starts to harden. Because as soon as we do it our way, we start getting legalistic. That's the first step. And this is what I think was happening here. 
is that the people of God start to do rules. All right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church once a month. I'm going to, I'll read my Bible once a week. I won't read my Bible. I don't need to read my Bible because I'm just going to, and maybe you start doing things. So what I'm saying is you start to create laws and then you, you think, the law says, I'm going to write in your, you say, oh no, it's too difficult for me. No, I don't want that kind of story in my life. And we start to say, I want this way, not your way. And then the heart starts to get hardened. And then as God is trying to write, it's just not getting going in. And we start to become blinded, not by sin and wickedness and things like that, but by law. And what proceeds from the state of Christians going into law is going into sin because law's too hard and you give up. When the seed of the sower went in the ground and it started to grow, it says the weeds start to grow around it and then choke it, kill it. Isn't law, legalism, like a weed that chokes the life of a Christian? It's not just sin. When uh, Paul, uh, the Hebrew writer starts uh, writing, he says, let us run the race. And he says, um, you had it up there, didn't you? Um, Laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. We've got to be careful of those weights. We've got to be careful of those laws. I'll do it my way. See, what are you willing to do? See, I wonder whether that some of the ways in which we can identify are we starting to put a veil up of law is have you stopped moving forward? Have you been reading or sensing the same chapter for so long? And it's like, why have I not moved beyond this? Why is there not a new chapter in my life? Is it because your heart has got hardened and the Lord hasn't been able to write? See, the, the heart is where the will resides. Are you doing it your way or are you doing it his way? When Jesus got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if there's any other way that I don't have to drink this cup, I'll take it. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had to get to that point where he says, Lord, Father, you write the story, not me. So I want to encourage you to think, you know, have you gone backwards? I'm a great believer that we move forward in God and when we stop, there are, there are, there are really two states of, of the Christian. There are those moving forward and those moving backwards. Because when you just stop, you just go with the flow backwards. Are you moving forwards? Are you going into uh, developing more knowledge of God in your relationship with God? And I don't mean intellectually, I mean in your, in your ability to believe God for more, to trust him more easily, to go to him in, for forgiveness more quickly. What are you willing to do? And this is the wonderful thing about the Spirit. In the Philippians it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it comes down to this, doesn't it? It comes down to, are you malleable? Are you willing? Are you available to God? Are you movable by God? Are you willing to lean on God? 
So Jesus is the writer, we are the paper, and the Holy Spirit is the ink. See, the ink is not the experiences of life, but the power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so experience does shape us. We might go through various experiences, but these experiences don't determine who we are. What the Holy Spirit does is he writes an image in our hearts that determines who we are. This is who I am. I'm becoming like Jesus. He's writing his image in my heart. And we'll get to that in a minute because we, we have to ask ourselves, what is the Holy Spirit writing? And in chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, let me remind you, it says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he's not talking about writing, he's talking about sunbathing. And you know someone who's been on a sunbed. They take on the characteristics of the sunbed. They glow with an orangey glow. Um, I've, done, I've done it once, but it didn't really do much for me. But we bathe, we've unveiled face, we look to God. And that to me is just another way of saying, give God access to your heart. Will you let him write the story in your heart? And that story is the process of you becoming like Jesus. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to jump forward a bit. But you can, you can read in chapter 4, um, the first six verses would be great. But just chapter, chapter 4, verse 5 um, says, um, uh, I'll read four as well. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, I mentioned before, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness is shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And if you pick that up in there is this sense of God has written Jesus in my heart and I, so I proclaim who I am. Yeah? When you're out there and you're in your workplace or in your whatever your social environment is or in your family, who do you proclaim? Because if you're a Christian, you should be proclaiming Jesus. Because that's the story he's writing in your heart. So the first thing is, and Oswald Chambers, I remember reading many times, many, many years ago, if you read Oswald Chambers, he said this, he said, the Christian is the last person to see what God is doing in their life. And what he means is this, is that, is that there is a radiance of Jesus that's coming out of the Christian who is having the word of God written on their hearts, whose, whose hearts soft to the Lord, there's a radiance, a, a proclamation of Jesus that you don't see, but people see. <clears throat> a manifestation, um, I think the King James verse, um, version says, he says in verse three, he says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ. And the King James version says, you you." Uh, maybe, I don't know, off the bar. You're a manifestation, if you like that word, of a letter of Christ. And, uh, and I just, maybe to finish with these two, two particular encouragements. They're quite long, these two, but they're two. Um, 
See, there's an impact that you are making to the lives around you. If your heart is for God to write his story, not your story. And at some point, he may be writing something in you and you know that your life has got to change in line with his story and you've got to bow your knee to him. So there is, there is that. Keep that in mind. But Christians should stand apart. And there is a lie that says what the world needs are Christians that are like them so they can then lead them to Jesus. No! The world needs people who are different to them that they may show Jesus. Amen? Uh, you might have heard this story, but um, I wanted to get a phone some years ago, which was a Ferrari Red Nokia. And the only shop that had it was Phones for You. So Jan and I went in, and we're chatting with this guy behind the desk. And uh, nice guy. And Jan already knows he's a Christian. Whereas I'm like, this guy needs Jesus, come on. Um, you know, getting on quite well, we're chatting away. And so he, he says, you know, what, 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 what do you do? So I say, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I say, I'm a web developer, depending on the situation. I say, I'm a pastor. Oh. But Jan already knows. So she's, she's, when Jan knows someone's Christian, she says things like, oh, glory, glory, um, blessings, you know. Uh, you know, she starts bringing out a bit of the Christian lingo, you know, just to sort of get in there. Anyway, I don't know how it came to it, but it was Drew serving behind this thing but you knew you knew something about that man you witnessed with it and I don't know whether you as other Christians you witness you think I wonder if that person's a Christian and sometimes they're really nice they're really nice people in the world don't get me wrong that you just connect with and you just enjoy but there's sometimes you see there's something and because of that Drew married Hannah because of me buying a Ferrari red Nokia phone, the only phones for you, Drew married Hannah, and now he's in this church. <laughs> but what are people reading you? See, by default, we should be proclaiming Jesus, but I want to challenge us to think, because it says, this is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Now, I think there are certain ways we can say, are you honest? Are you, do you have integrity? Are you showing the characteristics of Christ? Are you, are you patient with people? Now, I'm not looking for perfection because I don't see it in my own self. But I know those areas where I say, Lord, will you write in me? Patience particularly. Or will you write in me, whatever it might be? Let your yes be yes, says the scriptures, and your no be no. One of the basic fundamental things I find most frustrating with Christians, that your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, we have to have grace because we're not perfect. But examine yourselves. But your default position as a lover of God and as a Christian is you are impacting people around you. Do you realise that? You know, we, um, we could look at the fruits of the Spirit. They're the kind of things that will come out of us. The second point is this, before I close. Examine yourself as to whether what you are living is becoming like Jesus or becoming like the world. So take a look at your life and you say, look at the trajectory of my life. Look at the way that I'm living my life. And am I becoming more like Jesus or am I becoming more like the world? Now, you will know the difference. 
I don't need to go into talking about various examples, I don't think. But, um, and this isn't about fear of your salvation as it should be about, do you know what? The joy, like that old hymn that I read earlier, which is wonderful, says, I'm sh- uh, <clears throat> here and all the graces shower, all the joy, the peace and power, all my saviour asks above, all the life and heaven of love. That comes when we pursue Christ. When you're heading for the world, you lose those things. I bet you lose, I, I, I know from my own personal experience, when I start to get distracted, it's the peace that you lose. I wonder about yourself. Will you take that um, and examine yourself and ask yourself, where am I going? And bring it right back to that. Do you know what? The default position as a Christian is that Jesus is writing his story in my heart. And maybe you just need to go to him and say, and maybe we can do that now as we pray. Um, do you want to, the worship team want to come up and just, I know we don't have much time, but maybe if we just sung, just to give an opportunity for you to bring your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, if my heart is hard, will you please come and just melt my heart? Will you come and just soften me? Will you come and just bring me back to that place where you are writing your story? Forgive me, Lord, if I started writing my story. I realise my story is not really going too well. But, Lord, I want to bring my heart. Isn't that wonderful that we can trust that God will do that in our hearts for us? Amen. Shall we stand together and let's pray? And if you need to respond, then I want to encourage you to do do something physical about that. You can put your hand out. Um, But doing something physical, put something into action. So let's pray. Father... We want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and not only to continue your story written in our hearts, but to take our hearts and will you melt them, Lord? Will you take away the veil of our hearts as we look to you, that we may know, Lord, that continuing transforming of ourselves into Christ? And Lord, will you cause us tomorrow or this afternoon when we go out, Lord, to know that we are being Christ? proclaiming Jesus Christ wherever we go, Lord, and will you help us to see those people that have been affected by it. Lord, that we may love them, we may share our story with them. But Lord, I just want to invite you now, as we sing, to minister to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.